Bracken and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. Cooper puts it in with good measures. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time, knowing that really all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Hello and welcome to the Here We Go podcast. The podcast that's about as regular right now as Craig Bryson appearances in a red shirt. Fit and ready faction today though is Martin Clunas. Hello Martin, was Santa good to you? Santa was alright to me, you know. Um, I would have preferred um, maybe three points um, for the last game of the year, but you know, you can't get everything you want. Yeah, I don't think that's in his remit. Any Don's related tat in your stockings this year? Um, I didn't actually, so I had to I had to buy the the new picture book by myself, which was quite annoying. That is disappointing that no one took that hint. Uh, also with us this week, it's always a pleasure to welcome Tom Watt back in the show. Hi, Tom. Hello. How you doing? Good, very good. You took advantage of the winter break to see some League One action at Montrose yesterday. Any discernible difference to the fare offered up at Lynx Park and what you've seen from the Dons this season? Uh, not not hugely, no. Uh, and Montrose won, so. Um... Uh, no, it was good. Uh, huge thanks to the people uh, at, at Montrose who, and who you know really were very welcoming, and uh, it was a decent day out. Highly recommended. Yeah, uh, this winter break does obviously offer you opportunity. I saw a tweet from people heading off to some Highland League games and various places, uh, checking out the hedge at uh, Brecon. But uh, yeah, this couple of weeks away from Aberdeen should do us all quite some good. It's been about a month since we were last with you. Five games played. Now, we're not going to go into any great tactical detail or depth about any of them, but there were some recurring themes and key moments to talk about. Firstly, to Easter Road, where Martin Boyle showed that he does very occasionally have some end product, but hey, even Darren Mackey once scored 15 goals in the season. Uh, Tom, it was a fairly even first half, but a second half capitulation. Yeah, um, and a ground that we've traditionally even you know even when we've been on bad runs we we tend to turn up at, at Easter Road, um like you say a, a fairly early uh, fairly even first half we had our chances, uh, but as been as has been the case for, for for the whole of the season we can't really seem to turn in a performance for you know even seventy minutes let alone let alone ninety, and from the moment that uh, that Hibs scored we never really looked like getting back in the game. And you know, heads heads dropped, and uh, yeah, they kind of ran all over uh, ran all over us. And I mean, part of it we could possibly have been explained by you know they've obviously got um, Jack Rawson, and they had they they were starting to look like they were playing the way that he might want. But subsequent results they've had suggest that you know it's not all clicked into place just yet. And um, they, you know, they they just managed to click against us. Part of that down to the fact that we just we just don't seem to have a, a functioning midfield at the moment. Yeah, so midfield is is obviously an issue. It's it's, it's an area of the pitch that's chopped and changed all season long, Martin. You kind of feel that the main difference as well between this side, which is stumbling and a little bit negative, just winning games, just doing enough, and maybe that the side in the first season uh, under Derek McInnes, which you would have actually backed more to get a result in a game like that, were lacking somebody like a Barry Robson, somebody like a Russell Anderson, somebody just with the nice and the leadership to hold things together. We are, yeah. I mean, we can all, so we've had lots of conversations about this on social media, and I do feel we're just there are guys in the team who really should be kind of leaders in the way that Robson was. Also, Robson was a very good footballer, so was Anderson. Um, and I think we're missing that. And yeah, Bryson was probably expected to fill that role. Um, I'm sure, no, I know we're, we're probably going to come on to this later, but, you know, um, the kind of the square, the square peg round hole thing that we seem to have kind of found ourselves in with, or we did find ourselves in with Viner, um, just hasn't worked. And it showed us how like, kind of woefully short we are, not only in that position, but within that, that kind of character in the team, which um, is probably why I know 
I don't want. I'm not going to get get you back into the whole captaincy debate um, that we've had before. But it's like we're missing that that kind of outfield player who is a leader and could be a captain. Um, and I think that who or who will just take kind of kind of control of things. And that's why we found ourselves with Lewis as captain because there's nobody um, in the midfield or defence particularly who is able to just step into that role. Of course, Lewis could also have been offered the captaincy as part of the negotiations around his new deal. Um, I, I, you know, at the start of the season, Tom, we were quite excited about how that midfield was going to look, weren't we? Because we thought that Ojo was a kind of holding player that we'd been looking for for a couple of seasons. Bryson had been playing at a good level and, crucially, had played a lot of games over the past few years. There was no sign that he was having recurring injury problems, that he was slowing down. It, was, it looked like we'd finally got the blend right. Yeah, uh, and I think partly it's been very unlucky and what we have seen of Bryson, even if it's just in, in 10 minute spells, very tidy in possession, you know, but a, a very good footballer from what little we have seen. But the fact that uh, he keeps getting recurring injuries, uh, and I mean, I'm not any kind of physio or, or expert here, but I'm not sure whether the variety of injuries is a good thing or that's even worse than you keep picking up the same injuries over and over again in the same the same part of your body. Um, but like you say, I think at the start of the season there was reason for optimism. Um, the one player who we've had throughout this, the, the season who probably, one outfield player who does kind of embody the, the battling qualities you might want as a captain uh, is Lewis Ferguson, who is probably just a little too young to, to uh, and a little too inexperienced to, to take that on every single week, but the combination of what he offers, what Ojo offers with, with retaining possession and Bryson's experience, ability to get goals, it looked like three fairly versatile midfielders who would be very complementary to each other. The fact that we've not really been able to get, we've barely managed to get two of the three on the pitch at, at any one time um, is part of the reason that we, we kind of find ourselves reflecting on the season so far as being a little disappointing. So in December, there were definitely two games. And what was a fairly tough run that you'd marked as, as must-wins? And we did get the wins at home to Hamilton and Livingston. Uh, entirely forgettable games, but you know those are the sort of point accumulations that have happened all throughout Derek McInnes' time. Winning those home games, beating the sides beneath us, generally speaking. We'll come to an aberration, really, uh, on that front later. Um, the home form does seem to have improved... Martin, since the failings at the start of uh, 2019, where we were throwing points away, which ultimately cost us. Well, we, we also were very, very upset earlier in the season at some of those results. But you know, um, home form's been been getting better. You know, we've won, beaten Killian St Mirren, obviously Ake's and Livy as well. Obviously, it is all about you no know, cliche time. Obviously, it's all about getting three points. But you no, know, if for the if the, the problems I think some people will have is if the football for the most part is kind of you know. Eye bleedingly awful, then people will grumble. I mean, there are, but you admit you are quite right to mention there, Richard, that you know we're not the kind of club, we're not the kind of club that's going to chuck out DVDs of random games, you know, and celebrate these home wins. You know, you're never going to see a DVD of a home win against Livingston or Hamilton or St Mirren or whatever. No, it is really about just winning these games. And some of these, you no, know, these teams, you no, know, we've said so many times on here that that the the level Aberdeen are at, we're not good enough to just turn up and assume we're going to beat anybody especially in the, in the in the Premier League. So these games are going to be a struggle. Some teams are going to come up here and just want to sit and try and kill the game and put you know, put a, you know, 11 men behind the ball. And you've just got to accept that, that some of these games will be, uh, what's the word, attritional, I suppose you would say. Um, no, Yes, it would be nice to do it with free-flowing, lovely football, but at the moment, though, that's not going to happen. So you just have to kind of, you know, dare, dare I say, you have to piss with the cock you've got. Uh, well, quite. Um, you went from you know being quite verbose with attritional to, to that, Martin. Uh, I thought we maybe turned over a new leaf for twenty twenty, but sorry, but, but sadly, um, I always think there's, there's there's an element of hyperbole employed, Tom. I mean, the whole kind of eye bleedingly awful football. I think was the the quote that Martin used, and it's obviously there's there's a degree of exaggeration there. It's it's not been free flowing, and it's not been fluid. Definitely. But people seem to have this kind of rose-tinted view of that first couple of Derek McKinnis seasons. We were very much a counter-attacking team. It's not as if we were, you know, battering opponents' goals in those early seasons. But it's because 
it was different from what had come before. So he got the benefit of the doubt there. Six years on, he's not going to get that same benefit of the doubt, is he? I think that's probably true, Bale. I think there is some truth in the fact that this season it has not been as attractive as it might have been for a, one very obvious reason is that we've had to put square pegs in round holes. Uh, throughout, you know, for the for the early seasons we had effectively one out and out striker and three runners um, behind him. That's going to generate pretty attacking football or, or, or pretty much more exciting football. And we did have players who would run at run at opponents, whether it was more counter attacking or, or not. The there's something just much more exciting about watching uh, someone getting beaten by uh, a flying winger than there is about, you know, 100 passes and a slower pace of the game and, and a goal coming from mistakes, uh, which tends to happen a lot more uh, this season. So I do think that if we are forced into putting this centre-back who might be playing, who, who sort of may have been a right-back in at the centre of midfield to shore things up from time to time, then we're not going to get particularly free-flowing football. We're not going to get inventive football from deep. We're not really going to get a huge amount of vision when we win uh, when we when we win the ball back. We're not going to win the ball back high up the park in the same way. So I think some of that criticism is both true and and kind of understandable. Um, I think there have. And I think to go, to go back to the, the the point about the two games in particular, we highlight Livingston and Hamilton have taken points off teams round about us recently. Um, Hamilton, over the last few seasons, have given us some particularly awkward games earlier this season, even when and they're the sort of side that you you turn up and you kind of expect to beat them because they've won you know nothing from ten games or something, and then they win three in a row. Um, winning those games. And just getting those points on the board is is absolutely um, absolutely vital. So I think there, when you're depleted and when you're not really necessarily able to call on your your best eleven or, or the most creative players at all times, um, there there is some sort of you've got to have some understanding. I think that that it may not produce sparkling football. The the Hearts game, which we'll, we'll come on to, I think is probably more of a an aberration when we change the way that we play and we change the lineup and the and the style that we've kind of grown grown accustomed to over the last couple of years, particularly for one opponent uh, who hasn't been playing particularly well. And then the criticism, I think, is about the 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 less attractive football is a bit has a bit more merit to it. But for the games like you know for for, for December games and the, and the run into Christmas when we're playing teams that are have a bit of grit and you know Livingston chase teams around the park Hamilton are, are fighting for their lives then I think it is kind of understandable if we've got probably only eight of our starting 11 playing anywhere near their their ideal position Martin touched on it Tom um, but I mean does the manager have a remit basically to entertain the home crowd in particular or is it pure is his remit just to win games by any means possible I think there's. I think both of those things are true, but I think there's a hierarchy. I think there is an. There is a. First and foremost, win games, and that is for me seventy-five percent of the job. Win games, keep putting points on the board, keep progressing forward. But there is an element of that that people are turning up to see something that has some form of identity. And I think it's possibly that that we haven't had in recent seasons. It's not that you know, like, like you said, the first couple of seasons under McInnes, we were counter uh, we were counter attacking. Some of our best performances, you know, the the, the game at Parkhead when we won uh, in the in the cup, the uh, the demolition of St Johnston, those kind of games, we we were a counter attacking side. We we hit teams on the break over and over again. But there was a clear identity to the football. There was a clear identity to how we wanted to play. And it was kind of up to the teams that we played to, to stop us doing that. And for most of the last four or five years, you could say at, at any given time what we are trying to do. You could pinpoint how we're trying to play, what 
the style of the uh, what the style is to to expect. And if you have that, then I think fans will generally be a bit more forgiving if they can see what you're trying to do. Where I think it's been a little more difficult um, for parts of last season and this season is we don't really know what we're getting or or what we're what we're trying to do. Uh, both with some of the personnel and some of the lineups in, in uh, over the last year or so. So while there is a, a while there is a, a kind of imperative to uh, to entertain, I think if we had an identity which fans could could understand, uh, then part of the entertainment comes comes from that. You touched there, Tom, on uh, changing the shape at Tynecastle. One of the reasons we did that was to ensure that Bruce Anderson got a start, such was a clamour for him to do so after his very, very good finish against Livingston when he came on off the bench. Uh, and it was a change of shape then as well because, you know, we had all day really uh, struggled to get the ball to stick up top when Curtis Main was replacing Sam Cosgrove. Uh, Martin, firstly, it's a really, really classy bit of uh, centre-forwards play from Bruce Anderson for his goal against uh, Livingston, wasn't it? You know, we've seen so many so many clips from you know, reserve games, whatever you want to call them now, um, where, he's been, where he's been banging them in. You know. One of the, magic, the magics of social media is that you, know, you see these things, you don't just hear about this guy who's tearing it up in the reserves and then you, know, you maybe will see him for two or three minutes at the end of a game. We've seen, we've seen him do it against, obviously, a lesser... At a lesser level, shall we say. Uh, but yeah, it was great to see. It was such a really good finish as well. Um, it would have been it would have been very easy for him, I suppose, you know, to maybe snatch it or just ha- you know, just hammer it hammer it right at the goalkeeper. But no, he knew exactly what he was doing. And people then, of course, as you say, there was then the clamour for him to be starting. You know, the, you know, social media was alight with people raving raving about him after the goal, and, and quite rightly. But essentially, McInnes came out afterwards and, and said that he he wasn't prepared to start Anderson up top on his own because he doesn't no. believe he has those skill sets. Are you prepared to change the shape to accommodate him? Oh, well, this this obviously ties into what, no, what Tom was talking about there. You know, them, having a, the team having an identity. You know, McInnes has a way he likes to play. You know, Anderson probably you no know, up up front on his own in in a Cosgrove role. He isn't a Cosgrove. Um, so I think you would you would have to you had to sort of possibly slightly change it. I mean, you saw Hedges, McGinn, and McLennan all on the bench when he, when he started started that game, um, and it, it didn't really work. You know, he, he, it was a it was a you know it was a kind of nothing nothing appearance. You no, know, a couple of bits here and there, some nice touches because he's you know he's he's a decent player, but he didn't really do it, and that's the problem. I think that you know, I don't think we can afford to change the shape to accommodate him if you're going to be playing two up front I mean personally um, you know I think I've I've made my opinions on um, on uh, Curtis Main quite clear um, <laughs> I mean I think he's absolutely useless I don't, I don't think he offer, offers really anything for us but you can't you can't have you can't have Anderson up there on, on his own so we did have to change it to accommodate him ever so slightly yeah, speaking specifically about that Tynecastle lineup, uh, Tom, because it was very confusing. It almost seemed like an overcompensation to actually remove your uh, creative players, all of them, and have them on the bench and, and go with guys like John Gallagher. It seemed like an overcompensation to having to go with two up top. Yeah, and I think it's 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 a, it's there's a strange Tynecastle has has not been a, a happy hunting ground for McInnes and and Aberdeen, even when. Heart. And I don't know if it's playing the idea of Hearts or playing the idea of a, a club that are you know around the same sort of size or what it is, but we we have had a run of particularly bad results against Hearts, partly by giving them more respect than their league position and their run of form um, merits, and we've had a, a, a you know three times this season. Where at the end, towards the end of last season, we like bossed them in the first half of the game, and then decided to kind of sit on that lead rather than just taking the game to them. And they, Levine did what Levine does and went long, and we had problems with that and lost that game. The League Cup game again, they're a they're a bad team. They were in a bad run of form, but we showed them a little too, bit too much respect. And I think this again was the same sort of idea that. We were trying to play 
I think just a little bit too clever with the lineup and a little bit too overthinking what what might come, given it was a new manager who doesn't understand his team yet, who's still trying to find out who you know who he's even going to keep around in January, and it doesn't sound like there'll be a huge number of them. Um, who himself had made a, a a bunch of changes, you know, dropped Berra uh, and was, you know, trying out different players in, in new positions. And we overthought it a little. And while I think we kind of there, there was this pressure to start Bruce Anderson, and there and that had, I, I think ultimately it didn't pay off. But I think it was probably the right decision to try it at the time, and and he deserved to start. Um, we subsequently, as as a result of of how we lined up, lost all our width, lost the pace that has caused. Hearts problem. I mean, if there's there's one problem Hearts have had throughout the season is they have zero pace in their team whatsoever, um, and we seem to counter that by fielding zero pace of our own. Uh, understandably, that you know we we didn't have uh, didn't have Sam Cosgrove, so we we did have to change things around a little bit. But it seemed that if we were going to play to Bruce Anderson's kind of predatory strengths, we needed to have players. Willing to take take people on, willing to play like play him on in on off the shoulder, and get him in one on one versus versus the goalkeeper rather than what we seem to set up for some sort of possession based game that we just ultimately failed to do. Yeah, Martin, keeping on that game at Tynecastle, uh, it was like the season of microcosm as far as I'm concerned. I mean, poor with the ball, not reacting very well to the pressure that the the home support. Uh, managed to put in the game um, and really got out of jail by a piece of individual brilliance from, from Niall McGinn. Um, we did a, on Twitter, we did a sort of top 30 goals of a decade thing, um, obviously entirely subjective, but it, what really stood out to a lot of people, and it wasn't exactly the point, but it was the impact that Niall McGinn and the influence that Niall McGinn has had over the last uh, seven years of Aberdeen Football Club, and uh, he did it again at Tynecastle. You know, there could have been a hell of a lot more Nell McGinn goals um, in that top thirty if if we were being, you know, if you're being a bit, you know, biased towards him. Really, I mean, there was certainly some more that were missing. But this is that's what he does. You know, he 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 come he he can do that. Is he's, he's he's got that kind of just that like you said. You've put you've said individual brilliance. That's exactly what it is. He's got that ability just from a not just from a de- from a dead ball situation, but that you no. Know, He's, we've said so many times on here. He's got that the talent where you, the guy who you would pay to go see, um, and at the moment he's he's the guy in the side who has got the got the tricks and the ability to be able to do that for us. Um, and it, and it was just you know, we didn't do anything really in that game. We we're so we are so poor. Um, hearts Hearts really did what Hearts Hearts do. Um, and just sort of put, put us under so much pressure, and we just seemed to panic every time we had had the ball. Um, and then, thankfully, you know, McGinn comes on, um, comes on at half time or just just after half time, I think it was, um, for Viner. And while it didn't have a massive, you know, impact in the game, it certainly, I don't think he certainly changed the face of the game. Uh, we we started to look a little bit more positive, and then you know he comes up with another little bit of magic, which which is what he's done pretty much in all the time he's been here. Okay, now reversing just a little bit uh, to go back to the uh, game at Parkhead. Um, yeah, it's sharp and take a breath because we were battered there, yet somehow also still a bit unlucky. Um, Tom, another game where we were so poor on the ball, and it's just all the themes that you've spoken about earlier about shoehorning Viner into midfield, Ojo not quite being up to speed. We caused Celtic are a decent team. They will create chances, but we caused a lot of our own problems that day. It seemed to me. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think um, Celtic on their day, as we saw earlier in the season, will will kill you if you don't if you don't turn up. But they have times themselves when they're a bit off the boil, and I think they were they have in the last few games not been quite at the races, um, and I don't think they were entirely. On top form against us, uh, you know, Edward had a couple of chances, and they could they could have been further ahead um, earlier than you know they, they could have put that game to bed earlier on. But we do seem to be 
creating some of these problems for ourselves. We do seem to be ponderous on the ball. We do seem to not be able to to hold that um, to hold possession quite so well, or hold possession further up the park. There's a, just a, there's a lack of patience um, in the midfield at the moment, and again, completely understandable given given personnel and given that we've we only just got Ojo back, who is the it certainly was brought in as the sort of metronome for that midfield, but there's not enough. There's, there's essentially there's just not enough footballers um, in the midfield at the moment because uh, we've had to because we've had to shuffle things around so much. Um, like you say, a little unlucky. We, I mean, we, for considering we could easily have been three 0 down when it was. When when Cosgrove uh, equalised, I think we could say that we were lucky to get get the um, to, to be to be level when we were. But with having said that, when we did equalise, we looked like we had a bit of confidence. We looked a little bit more assured. We looked like like Cosgrove was causing higher problems. Uh, Lennon wasn't. Quite sure how to how to change things around, and there there was a little bit of doubt that that crept in, um, without causing Celtic huge amounts of trouble for a sustained period. And while they did still create uh, chances that they missed, there was something to give them some concern until a moment of uh, controversy. Yeah, before we talk about the bad side of Sam Cosgrove, I'm going to stick with you, Tom, because we've heard Martin repeatedly talk about Sam Cosgrove's qualities this season, but he scored at Parkhead 20 goals before Christmas, first dawn to do that since Duncan Shearer, and he's very much an exalted company in terms of the full history of the Dons. I think there's only five other players that have done that. Um, he's some boy right now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and um, it's... I mean, you can't really talk about him without being in, amazed by the progress. I don't think I've ever seen an Aberdeen player change minds so quickly and so completely. I mean, it's not like he'd scored no goals and then he became a kind of cult figure because he got five or six, you know, came on as a sub, won some... Like he has gone from... Everybody thought he was useless. Everybody thought he was absolutely hopeless to as good a striker as there is in the league pretty much you know like he's as prolific as as anyone in the league he's scoring and every time you, you every time we kind of get used to what he can do he does something else like he he you know he breaks free from midfield and chips the goalkeeper or he scores at Celtic Park or he bullies you know an eight million pound defender and it just what's remarkable for me at the moment is we thought, wow, we've got this 20-goal-a-season striker that, that was kind of plucked from obscurity and everyone thought was was kind of useless, who suddenly became this 20-goal-a-season striker, but he doesn't seem to be finished yet. It seems like there's still more room for him to improve. There's still more to his game we're finding out about. And kind of week to week, there are, there are new things... Their new abilities that he's so he's not just holding the ball up, he's not just winning headers, he's not just scoring, you know, striker's goals, he's not just getting penalties, he's scoring from outside the box with his left foot, he's chipping the goalkeeper, he's his hold up play is improved, like he's chasing down defenders better. His use of the ball is much more intelligent than even six months ago. So, uh, if you're looking for, for positives from him this season, that I think the biggest one is there's assuming we we don't do anything rash with him in uh, the, the coming month. Um, there's still a wee bit for him to to improve if he's going the rate that he is uh, at the moment. Yeah, it's it's been remarkable. I don't think in my thirty odd years of watching the Dons, I've seen anything like it. Um, but to the to the other side of his game, which you know we hadn't seen that much of since his very first appearance. I mean, there was also, he got red carded at Ibrox, but that was a total joke, two yellow cards, a second of which it should have been a foul for him. To me, Martin, the the challenge on Ayer was one of those borderline yellow-red cards. Ayer's reaction undoubtedly influences the referee, as does the crowd, no doubt. 
bit silly from Sam, given the area of the pitch, it, it, the action was happening in. I know afterwards on, on Twitter you were raging, saying he didn't touch him, it wasn't a card, but I presume you've, you've calmed down a little bit since then. Um, I've calmed down a little bit. I mean, I'm willing to maybe concede it was a yellow. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's as far as you're getting from me. Um, to, for, for clarity, we were, out, we were out that day, and it was my work's Christmas day out, so you know... Um, <laughs> um, um, I'll be totally honest. We'd, I'd, I was drinking during watching the game, and so I, I didn't. I wasn't. I wasn't happy at all. But yeah, I can understand why he's not. You, you say it's a silly part, part of the pitch to be doing that, and I, and I do. I do agree with that in a way. I mean, I can understand why he's done it. You know, we've just conceded what four or five minutes earlier. Obviously, he's trying to push. You know, trying to get the. You no, know, he's pushing them up. What can I like push? Push from the front. Press from the front. Try and get get us back into the game. I mean, I don't think it's. I don't think it's reckless, and he obviously doesn't go and try and injure a man like that. I think Ayer's been cute and kind of bought the red card with his reaction. It, it probably is a yellow card. I mean, there is there is no getting away from that, um, if we're being honest. But um, I can understand why he's doing it because you know, you know he's he's showed us all these things that you know. Is another another character is he clearly. You know, you've, you've seen him being interviewed when he was on he was on Football Focus and he's been interviewing all these things. You know, he's he's not an idiot. You know, I think he realised he's got a lot of improvements to go in his game and there's you no know, there's places that football can take him that you no know, dare I say maybe higher than Aberdeen. You know, this will just be this will be another learning thing for him that you know, yeah, the speed he's gone in at is what's is what's cost him there. Um, I don't think it was I don't think it was anywhere near being a red card, but. This is what this is what happens. I mean, we've said so many times that you no, know, th- th- these type of decisions where, as you say, borderline Richard um, at Celtic Park at Ibrox, you're not going to get them. They're going to they're going to go against you. Um, and even when you no, know, obviously the next day it wasn't that wasn't that day I read that McInnes had said it, but the next day when I'd read McInnes saying we're going to appeal, um, no, I hoped that it would be overturned. But you no, know, in our heart of hearts, I think we all knew there was no chance that was going to be overturned. Yeah, it just it, it it wasn't gonna happen. There was enough there to back up the original red card decision, even if that was a little bit harsh, Tom. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair to say. I, I think it was uh, it was just from about a week ago. The uh, Everton Man City, there was an almost ex- identical challenge. Um, uh, Calvert Lewin, at pace, threw himself uh, at, at the ball. Uh, won the ball, but you know, cleaned out whoever the defender was. There was obviously a bunch of braying from the Man City fans, and the referee booked him. Everything calmed down, and that as you know, as you were, everyone got on with things. It it looked the pace of it may have may have influenced the referee. Obviously, the fact of Celtic Park will have influenced the referee. For me, it's a booking. Um, but when the red card is given, I. I mean, it's always worth appealing these things because you never know. We've seen some insane things being overturned and and upheld, so uh, I think it's always worth worth trying. But I don't think, from the moment it was given and and the point that we uh, we appealed, I think we kind of knew that they would they would uphold it. Yeah, uh, the appeal decision though led to uh, a quite amusing rant uh, from Dave Cormack on Twitter in a subsequently now deleted tweet with added whataboutery uh, to boot with um, in the shape of a still photo of uh, Lee Griffiths treading on Ferguson. Still photos of challenges like that are always great because they remove any dubiety whatsoever. Um, yet for a large portion of the fan base it was nigh on the highlight of their season despite it being the sort of thing we'd rightly take the piss out the Huns for doing. Uh, Martin if I recall correctly you you were amongst those who voiced uh, your approval. Is this really standing up for the club or just tedious grandstanding to the galleries? Um, I'll be honest, Richard. I'm going to have to go back and check through Twitter and see if I did actually. Okay, I'll I'll change that. It's the sort of thing I would imagine you would voice your approval of. But even even if I did, it was probably you no know, after the game on after the game on Boxing Day or something when I'd had a couple of a couple of shandies. <laughs> um, I'll, I'll 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 take that. I'll accept that. Um, I wouldn't say I totally approved. I mean, yeah, you're absolutely right. He's played in the masses. Um, but have no, have no. I think you know. Let's be honest. He's had a couple of drinks as well. Um, <laughs> have have we not all sent a, a tweet after a couple of drinks that you'll later regret? Um, oh God, I yes. Think, you know, I think we've all done that. You know, we, no, we, and we all would admit it as well. Um, no, it's no. It was it was all as soon as it, you read it, you knew he was going to he was going to get himself in a little bit of trouble. I think. Um, 
you know, no, I, I, the, the, the thing that can I, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of is the, is the right, is the what about I mean, I don't care about the Lee Griffiths, the Griffiths thing, you know, um, nothing was, no, it, it was, it was something and nothing, um, and I, di- I didn't think that was the right, the right thing to do, and yeah, um, we've, we've very rightly laughed at, you know, the likes of Jim Trainer, um, and you know, others, other kind of, you know, Celtic and Rangers kind of puppets in the, in the, in the media for, for doing very similar as well. So yeah, I can laugh. Um, I mean, I suppose in a way, you know, some people. I mean, in a way, we know he probably he probably should be trying to play to the masses a little bit. I mean, I don't want us chumming up, being chummy, chummy with other teams anyway. Um, and if I'm being honest, um, I'd settle for a hundred tweets like that um, if it meant that we never send anybody to take part in the Love and Cup ceremony again. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, similarly, I think that um, the I think. The, I mean, Dave Cormack's going to be learning an awful lot or will have learned an awful lot about Scottish media and fan reactions. And there is, a, there is, you know, with great power comes great responsibility and all that. Um, and I think there is a... He was probably just over the line in, in you know, where he, where he should have drawn it. The, you know, pointing fingers at other players and at other clubs... Isn't particularly dignified, but I think he is within would be have been within his rights to say, you know, we believe this was a, a fair challenge. We believe that we the club will appeal it, um, or, or something like that. I think that you can still have you, whether it's grandstanding or good communications, you can still have that we're going to defend our player. We don't believe this was a red card. We think he's been hard done by, and um, without bringing in. Like the Ayers' reaction was there for all to see. Everyone spoke about it after the game. Um, I think that kind of got people a little hot under the collar. Uh, and the the you know the Griffiths th- uh, thing was just a little cheap. Um, it wasn't. There's been far worse that we haven't highlighted at various points this season. And I think if we're going to go down that route, then it will be. Like he will be fined and censured quite quickly, uh, but I think he is within his rights, and I think I don't think it does any harm if you've got a public, publicly facing chairman who is happy to say who's happy to come out fighting within reason and say that I I'm going to stand up for the club on decisions that I think have gone against us and and be the sort of public face of of communicating that to the fans. Okay, well those were the games in December. Couple of weeks break, couple of weeks respite, uh, but with it, of course, the January transfer window has, and we're contractually obliged to say this, slid open. Uh, but there's been precious little activity in the first few days. Um, it doesn't look like there's going to be anybody new on the flight to Dubai later this week, although it's not unlike Derek McInnes to pull a rabbit out of the hat. Martin, there are some pretty obvious areas of the pitch that need some surgery. Midfield, obviously, uh, key to it all. It is, yeah. Um, you would you would think that you know, the Bryson's been a Bryson's been a problem all season with injuries. So you would think that he's looking at somebody there. Um, you would assume that he'll be trying to offload uh, the lesser spotted midfielder Stephen Gleeson to to free up some wages, perhaps, or maybe a spot a spot in the in the squad. Um, Viner obviously is injured. It looks like he's going to be out long term, so he'll be getting sent home. Uh, so that's that, that probably would be the rabbit the, the rabbit out of the hat as you say I would I would I would imagine that maybe somebody will be coming in on loan um, to replace Viner um, and then that you're looking at somebody somebody who can possibly cover for Bryson but the problem is Bryson was as we've mentioned Bryson is was brought in as a, the marquee signing um, we all thought he was going to be the club captain you know and he was going to be this the star of the show um, and injuries have stopped that happening. Um, so it's it, it's it's a it's a it's a tough one to see who you can bring in that will give the impact get you can get the impact from that we were looking for from for, from Bryson. Um, that's the worry. But I do think the first thing we'll probably see is is a, a midfielder on loan from one of these kind of maybe an English Championship club or something like that. Tom, throw some actual names into the ring so we can get some reflected glory if one of them comes off. Sure. Um, I mean, there there are a number of players available. Who McInnes does tend to go back for people that he likes. He he, we don't have a hugely expansive 
uh, scouting network. Although recently, you know, he was saying last week that it would be a bit wider. We'd cast the net a bit further than we have before. I would be quite surprised if that were the case. There are players available that, like Dylan McGee, seems to be surplus to requirements at Sunderland. Whether he's too similar to Leo and, and, and not really um, the, the 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 Bryson replacement that we seem to need. But you know, certainly a very capable player, and if you could get him in, uh, would be quite a coup. Um, there was some chat online about um, Graham Dorans from Dundee, who seems to have a, a break clause in in his contract. Again, experienced has got a, has shown that he's got over his injury problems and has played a bunch of games. Um, similar kind of similar kind of career history to, to, to Bryson and I guess a, probably not historically as much of a goal threat but uh, a, a, an experienced central midfielder um, other than other than that in the in the centre of the park it's kind of difficult to see where where he does business other than as you say bringing someone in um, on loan um, for left back if there's it, does, it would make sense if there was cover uh, at left back, given given uh, Lee seems to be out for at least the next three months or so, uh, Max Lowe hasn't played much for Derby, has he? We could get. Don't tease us, Tom. Don't tease us. I mean, the other interesting one um, that I mean is not obviously a position that we necessarily need, but if we didn't have a, a Curtis Main, then the fact that. Uh, Liam Boyce is seemingly coming back to someone in probably in Scotland. Hart seemed to be interested, and he and McInnes has been a big fan of him for a good wee while. I'm not sure whether that would be uh, whether that would be an option. Not like it's the one solved position that we we definitely have and definitely don't need. But if a player like that's available, whether he'd be interested or not, I think midfield definitely needs to be the the priority, and it needs to be someone who's gonna stay fit and gonna come in and and do a you know do a job uh, immediately and ha- is gonna have to play almost every game between now and, and the end of the season um given the injury troubles that we've had and the, and the fact that we've had to chop and change things around so much i would i, I ex- i'd expect there to be a, a midfielder and a um and a fullback we could do with a bit more attacking threat we could whether there'll be moves for uh, um, someone that can cover a multi- multitude of positions, or whether the I mean, Viner seemed to have been brought in initially as uh, cover for Shea Logan. So whether there's someone brought in as a more of an out and out fullback than a uh, than someone can, who can play a bunch of positions, I'm not sure. But it, it, that would be a, another position where I think we're probably a little light as well. Just Shea Logan touching on it, I thought he had some of his. Uh, best games of the season playing at left back um, but just out, out of nothing because he has struggled a little at right back this season um, anyway um, the first game back after the break is the Scottish Cup tight home to Dumbarton now no one need to tell us about the importance of the Scottish Cup it's going to take over 30 years of hurt since Theo Snyder's penalty heroics uh, it remains a tournament in which victory could be transformative also looking at the league table maybe the moment for maximum impact has been lost the game itself should, and I stress should, cause us a few problems. This Dawn side may not be thrilling, but the days of any tie against the lower league side causing us palpitations are for the time being at least over. Not that previous disasters won't be entirely at the back of our minds in the build-up, but for me the most interesting thing ahead of the game is the experiment that the club are undertaking with regards to the Markland stand. Uh, Tom, to the club's credit, they're trying to give the fans the tools to do something about the atmosphere at home games. Yeah, and and you know credit to them, credit to them for for trying something different. Um, I think for too long, most clubs, not all, but most clubs uh, have looked at something they believe is tried and tested, and believe that you know fans are coming anyway, um, and they don't necessarily need to try anything different or or innovate. Uh, it's it's a risky one for for a bunch of clubs that. You know, you look at St Johnston's tribulations and the fact they're opening up more of their stadium uh, for visiting Old Firm fans because they've had trouble getting people in through the gates, and so much of the the revenue of that that club is dependent on on bums on seats and a, a pretty small home support. 
it's a good game for us to try this. Unlikely to get a huge attendance because the, the you know the early rounds of the Scottish Cup against um, against lower league opposition tend not to to bring in huge crowds, but the proof will be in improved atmosphere and and whether the fans who who take part uh, get more out of it. And hopefully it's the start of a, a bunch of these experiments and a bunch of these initiatives where we try and do more things. I mean, we, we were a little critical of, of Cormac earlier on, but it sounds like uh, it sounds like he very much went undercover boss to see uh, what the fan experience was like. And um, if nothing else, that's a nice story. So it's good. To, it's, it's good to see that us trying something a little different, uh, and hopefully. You know, hopefully uh, reaping the benefits of that and, and, and fans getting more out of the game. It, it, something has to be done not to, just to address the, atten- uh, the atmosphere, Martin, but also the attendances. They're down about a 1,000 on last season. Um, do, do, this and this alone obviously won't uh, make all the difference, will it? Because um, people will just find another reason not to come, won't they? Well, yeah. I mean, there's there's people who are, there's people who have you know, I've, I've spoken. I've seen a few people who said they're coming back because you know this is something that's you know the club are clearly trying to engage. Um, they're trying to get you know perhaps shall we, should we say this that stay away section to kind of come back in. So um, it'll be it'll be interesting to see. I mean, it, it, this isn't this isn't going to be the the sort of the, the come to Jesus moment that where everything will suddenly get better. Um, and everybody will start streaming back. Um, you know, people haven't been coming to games, partly because you know ach, there's a multitude of things. You know, the stand of the football. You know, people are people are pissed off, obviously that you know that Rangers are now in the league and they're they're doing better, and we've slipped down to being third. Um, blah blah blah. So many different things, but it is it's great that we've tried we've tried this. And you know, obviously, you know, I think they've said they've sold about six hundred tickets so far for that section alone. Um, which which is I mean I don't know I'm not quite sure I can't remember how much the Merkland holds, um, but no they're they're going to open the two middle sections first anyway. So it's good it's good that there's a there's a start here and there's something that hopefully hopefully could be built on. I mean, for league games, no, it's obviously going to be different because you can't you, I don't think you can move all the all the kids and that out of there. Um, so that, no, there's it's going to it's going to it's going to have to change then and then something different will have to happen. Um, they just have to try and work on something. Um, I, I just think you no know, we are sometimes you no. Know, as Aberdeen fans, we're very, we're very easy to jump and be down on the club, um, and I do think that Cormac in particular, and as Tom mentioned there, you know, the fact he did the whole undercover boss thing, and you know, he didn't like what he saw, um, and you know, he had to have a word, you know, he had to have a word with the security and their supervisors because he didn't like what he saw. You know, that's something that's been, you know, there's been grumbling, there's been moaning for for not 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 just the last couple of months. That's been for quite a few years. People have been complaining about you know, the steward and being a bit, you know, a bit overboard, and you know. Understand, you know, it's basically like the kind of the anti-fun police. Now, the, the the club definitely deserves you no know, a lot of, a lot of credit for this because it's you know this is what we wanted to see. But you no, know, we want to see more people back at games. And if this is the start, if this will get five hundred people extra coming back to games, then it'll be a good thing. It's just how we go forward after the Dumbarton game and how the people that want to come and make noise of that where how they're accommodated. Yeah, but and, and this is an important point, one it seems I think to have been overlooked, Tom, is that there's more than one way to watch a game of football and having a dedicated family space is also very important for the future of the club. I, I absolutely agree with that, Richard. Um, I think it's in, in the way that you say there's more than one way to watch football, there's no right way to support your team either. That's one thing that does irritate me. Um, is I do, I don't know that there's Some people seem to think there's, this is the way you have to support the team. Um, and so I do think that you're yeah, you're absolutely right. No, and that's something that will have to be will have to be worked on in the future. Is you can't just say, oh well, the Merkland Merkland stand has got I don't know, say, I don't nine hundred kids or something that go there. Well, they'll just have to be moved because we want this now. That's not going to happen, and that also wouldn't be fair because then you're having to, you would then how do you work on moving the people from the other stands? And so it's a logistical nightmare for the club. So I do understand they're in a bit of a rock and a hard place. Yeah, I, I think the, the the huge amount of credit has to go that we are trying it. It might fail. It might fail partially. It might give us some idea of like, just just trying new things about about the match day experience and trying new ways of you know the layout of where fans are, are sitting for next season. Even if we're thinking about that, we're gonna get some tangible. 
feedback and some tangible data, presumably on whether this worked or not and what worked and didn't. It would be very easy to say this is not going to work. There's going to be so many there's going to be so many difficulties to implementing something like this in the longer term. We need to accommodate you know a, a singing section and a family section and you know if sections of you know the supporters groups want to cordon off areas again and bring back flags and all these other things that have been discussed over the last few years all of those may be possible or to to a greater lesser extent but the only way that we're going to find out how it works is by trying it and seeing you know seeing what sticks and rather than criticizing for for even comprehending it it, it, at least you would be able to say, it, like if we try it and it doesn't work well, at least we, the, they'll be able to say look well we tried it here was the feedback here's what why we're not doing it this way again and um, but if we if we tr- if we're trying new things then you know we're getting the feedback that we need that will make incremental steps to make the match day experience better for those who decide to come along i'm not convinced that anything huge that you do on the match on the day is going to make a difference of you know a thousand fans at any one time because I think largely speaking people turn up to watch teams that win um, but you can keep people coming back and I think most clubs around the country are not very good at figuring out how to how to do that and how to make it an experience beyond just turning up to, to watch the football. Everyone has a different thing they want from it. Some people want to be entertained. Some people want to go with their friends. Some people want, you know, a couple of beers before and after the game and to make a big and make a day of it. Um, but trying things out so that we can see what works and what doesn't, I, I don't think there's going to be any criticism for that at all. All right, well, you'll get the opportunity to uh, go along to the Markland stand for the Dumbarton game, should you wish, or if you want to stay well clear of uh, that ruckus, you can find another part of the ground to sit and watch in silence and moan occasionally. Uh, So it's entirely up to you. We'll be back moaning occasionally uh, later in the year, but for tonight, my thanks to Tom Watt. Tom, thank you. Thank you very much. And to Martin Clunas. Thanks, Martin. Thank you very much, Richard. So, until we speak again, come on you Reds. <laughs>